0: Warning. The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you.
1: Well, the transition from hospital to apartments is really coming along nicely.
0: I don't like hospitals. I don't think I could ever live in a building that used to be a hospital.
1: I get it. But in a city like New York, all property is too valuable to leave unused.
0: Fair. I just wish they could have done something more with the property. Maybe I'm just being sentimental. Why is that? I mean, St. Vincent's wasn't just a hospital. It was such a landmark in New York City and, and its history and the AIDS epidemic. St. Vincent's was the epicenter of New York City's AIDS epidemic. It housed the first and largest AIDS ward on the East Coast, and is often referred to as the ground zero of the AIDS epidemic. It's one of the first institutions to address and treat HIV and AIDS in the 1980s.
1: That explains why they have this AIDS memorial here in the square outside Christopher Street Station by... The remaining part of the hospital.
0: So you see why I feel like it's all the ground.
1: Maybe you're right. Maybe it should be turned into something more. Here's hoping people never forget what happened here. Mm-hmm. Your stage whisper i'm your host hope bird and with me is my co-host andrew cortez
0: today we are going to be discussing the heart-wrenching and epic show the normal heart
1: so hurry you and take your seats it looks like the show is starting
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Today, we are welcoming you into one of the greatest traumas, at least in our opinion, to grace the stage. It brought to the stage one of the most sobering and derisive and anguishing times to occur in recent modern history prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, primarily to the LGBTQ community. Of course, we are discussing the landmark work, The Normal Heart.
1: This award-winning show not only challenged the ideas that were discussed on stage, but also challenged the audience on what to think and feel about the characters and their stories being presented to them.
0: But, of course, we need to prep you for all that's coming. So, let's hit the groundwork first.
1: The Normal Heart originally premiered off-Broadway at the Public Theater in 1985. It is a largely autobiographical play by Larry Kramer.
0: It focuses on the rise of the HIV-AIDS epidemic in New York City between 1981 and 1984, as seen through the eyes of writer-activist Ned Weeks, the gay founder of a prominent HIV advocacy group. The play's title comes from the poem by W.H. Auden, September 1, 1939.
1: After a successful 1985 off-Broadway production at the Public Theater, the play was staged in Los Angeles and in London. It was, it was revived off-Broadway in 2004 and finally made its Broadway debut in 2011.
0: This is the perfect place to introduce our design team of the 2011 production.
1: The playwright was Larry Kramer. Sound design and original music by David Van Tijim. Directed by Joel Gray and George C. Wolfe.
0: Scenic design by David Rockwell. Costumes by Martin Pacladinas, And lighting by David Weiner.
1: The play was first published by Plume in the USA and by drama editor Nick Hearn for the Methune in the UK to coincide with the 1986 British premiere at London's Royal Court Theatre. He then reissued it in his own imprint, Nick Hearn Books, in 2011, when first staged on Broadway, and again in a tie-in edition alongside the National Theater Revival in 2021.
0: The show arrived on Broadway at the Golden Theater on April 27, 2011, and ran for a special limited engagement of 86 performances, closing on July 10, 2011.
1: There are so many autobiographical parallels in this show. After most performances of the 2011 revival of The Normal Heart, Kramer personally passed out a dramaturgical flyer detailing some of the real stories behind the play's characters.
0: Kramer wrote that the character Bruce was based on Paul Potham, the president of GMHC, from 1981 until 1985.
1: Tommy was based on Roger McFarlane, who was executive director of GMHC and a founding member of Act Up and Broadway Cares.
0: And Emma was modeled after Dr. Linda Lobenstein, who treated some of the first New York cases of what later became known as AIDS.
1: Like Ned... Kramer himself helped to found several AIDS activism groups, including Gay Men's Health Crisis, GMHC, and AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, ACT UP, and indeed experienced personal conflict with his lawyer brother, Arthur.
0: It has been suggested, though not by Kramer himself, that the model for Felix was John Duca, a New York Times-style reporter who died of AIDS-related complications in 1989.
1: When the production played on Broadway, it was considered a revival for the purposes of the Tony nominations, even though the 2011 production was the first time the show played on Broadway.
0: The show would be nominated for five Tony Awards and win three that evening.
1: Best Revival of a Play... Best Featured Actor John Benjamin Hickey, who played Felix. Best Featured Actress Ellen Barkin, who played Dr. Bruckner.
0: So let's get into the story itself. During the early 1980s, Jewish-American writer and gay activist Ned Weeks struggles to pull together an organization focused on raising awareness about the fact that an unidentified disease is killing off an oddly specific group of people, gay men, largely in New York City.
1: Dr. Emma Bruckner, a physician and survivor of polio, as a consequence of which she is using a wheelchair is the most experienced with the strange new outbreak and bemoans the lack of medical knowledge on the illness, encouraging the abstinence of gay men for their own safety since it is unknown yet how the disease is spread.
0: Ned, a patient and friend of Bruckner, calls upon his lawyer brother, Ben, to help fund his crisis organization. However, Ben's attitude toward his brother is to give merely passive support ultimately exposing his apparent homophobia. For the first time in his life, meanwhile, Ned falls in love, beginning a relationship with New York Times writer Felix Turner.
1: The increasing death toll raises the unknown illness, now believed to be the cause, now believed to be caused by a virus, to the status of epidemic, through though the press remains largely silent on the issue. A sense of urgency guides Ned, who realizes that Ben is more interested in buying a two million dollar house than in backing Ned's activism. Ned explosively breaks off ties to his brother until Ben can fully accept Ned and his homosexuality.
0: Ned next looks to Mayor Ed Koch's administration for aid in financing research about the epidemic that is quickly killing off hundreds of gay men, including some of Ned's personal friends. Ned's organization elects as its president, Bruce Niles, who is described as the good cop of gay activism. In comparison to Ned, while Bruce is cautious, polite, deferential, and closeted, Ned is vociferous, confrontational, incendiary, and supportive, only of direct action. Tension between the two are clear, though they must work together toward the uh, promotion of their organization. Felix, meanwhile, reveals to Ned his belief that he is infected with the mysterious virus.
1: Although he continues to try to strengthen interactions with the mayor, Ned ruins his chances when his relentless and fiery personality appalls a representative sent by the mayor. Dr. Bruckner gradually takes the role of activist herself, noting the epidemic's appearance in other countries around the world and even among heterosexual couples.
0: Although she desperately asks for government funding for further research, she is denied. The rejection releases in her a passionate tirade against those who allow the persistence of an epidemic that is taking the lives of the homosexual individuals already marginalized by the government.
1: In the meantime, Ned's conflict with Bruce comes to a head and their organization's board of directors ultimately expels Ned from the group, believing his unstable vehemence to be a threat to the group's attempts at more calm-mattered diplomacy.
0: As Felix's condition worsens, he visits Ben Weeks in order to make his will and with hope of reconciling Ben with his brother. Felix soon dies and Ned blames himself for Felix's death, lamenting that he did not fight hard enough to have his voice heard. The mortality rate from HIV-AIDS is shown to continue increasing as the stage fades to black. The The end. End discuss the parts that we liked and that we liked. Yes. And that we really liked.
1: I mean this show.
0: I'm gonna jump in here. <laughs> Cause you're a play girl. And I don't mean that in the dirty way, but you 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 like plays. You were the one that got me into plays. I did not. I was not a play guy. The first play you took me to was Waiting for Godot and I was like I'm waiting to get it. And then we saw this and this was one of the greatest Shows I have ever seen this is when I was like this is a blank check write any amount on it and I was like I'm gonna go see plays now for as many musicals as we're gonna see we need to see plays and this did it for me hmm. and I really I don't believe I knew what the show was about when I bought tickets for it I was just like okay we're gonna go see a play here's a play
1: And this show was just breathtakingly passionate yeah it, it made me wish I cared about one thing half as much as Ned cares about everything.
0: Or even Larry Kramer, for that matter, considering oh, yes. he was outside the theater handing out stuff. I didn't realize that that was him at the time. And I was just like, there's this guy out here, this older gentleman, handing things out. And then, like, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> But Mm -hmm. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. This was just such a powerful piece of theater. It just—I
1: mean, it encompassed everything that I've I want from theater. It had a—I mean, it had a very good story. It had excellent writing. It conveyed a um, a cry to action. It 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 had passion behind it. It it was a blend of. ...all the elements.
0: It, 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 oh, just, it made you, it moved you, it...
1: It made you want to do something.
0: It touched you. It
1: Mm -hmm. really
0: did. I thought this was a, it was timely, and it was a great use of the vessel that, that is theater to communicate the story and the history of, of a people and their affliction as well. So, like, we, we had talked about this, so when the play originally was written... You know that to me was when using theater as a vessel to be like, "Hey, this is kind of happening," because nineteen eighty five. But then now, to me, using theater as a vessel to remind people of of this horrible event and what can happen when we turn a blind eye. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know there's a lot of plays that have discussed the horrible afflictions of the AIDS epidemic, but also, I mean, this is to me the best because. It's just every time I, I hear about it, I can't believe that for so long so many people and particularly so many people in power just acted like this thing didn't exist. Mm-hmm. People were dying. Who cares what your religious belief is or your personal belief? People were dying. At the end of the day, I feel like as humans we all have a Hippocratic oath.
1: Do no harm. To do
0: no harm, to care about one another. Let someone else worry about what they're doing, but we should take care of one another regardless. And I'm like, people were dying and we were acting like it was no big deal, like they made their bed. And I'm like, that's not okay. Yeah.
1: See, now that you bring that up, um, one of my favorite things about modern um, Wiccan and modern paganism is this concept of do no harm but take no shit. And that to me kind of summarizes... That call to action that um, Larry Kramer was going for, mm-hmm. which is this is happening and you can't stand by and let it happen. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't both do no harm and take shit. You have to stand up, take no shit, do no harm while you're at it.
0: Well, you see that in the, the the dichotomy between the characters of Ned and Bruce, for instance, mm-hmm. good cop bad cop, where Bruce is trying to navigate the.
1: Bureauc- bureaucratic. The
0: bureaucratic way. Of, you know, I have to do it the handshake, and the, the mm-hmm. boys club and that. And Ned is like, we don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. This is literally life and death. We don't have time to go through the red tape in that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We needed the funding and the research in that months ago.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: the time to play by the rules is over.
1: Well, and I think what's really important about having both... Ned and Bruce um, side-by-side comparison is we need both parts to be successful because we need people who are going to, the the people who work through the red tape and work through the diplomatic measures are going to be the ones who help enact long-term change, but when you are in the middle of an epidemic, you need the activisms, the, the activists, the people who are like, what are we going to do about it right now, kind of people like Ned. You need both to make successful change happen.
0: Well, and you see that come together in who is the most experienced, smartest person on the stage? Ned? No. Bruce? No. The doctor. Dr. Bruckner.
1: Yes. And you finally see
0: the combination of those two characters when at the end she's presenting her research for funding and she's giving her, giving all the information and she's like, this is what's happening. I need funding. You know, doctors I will say should, and for the most part are unbiased. They see the problem and whatnot and they treat the problem. And she's like, here's the problem we need to fix it and look it's it's happening in france it's happening in england we see this in africa it's not just here in new york cases are popping up here and here and it's not just a gay disease. we're finding this in heterosexual couples this is this is a real disease we have to treat it and still this panel denies her and she just loses it and she throws all of these files at them and she switches from playing that personality of bruce who was like, I've got to go through the red tape to get what I want to just, I'm... Screw it. We're, 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 we're past having time to do this. And she, the most intelligent character on stage, channels her internet and throws her files and she yells at them and says, you know what? Here's all the files about these men dying you can deal with it and you can talk to the families and da 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 da, da. You know, and it's just like, how uncompassionate do other doctors have to be for another doctor to lose it like that mm-hmm. you know and I I feel I, I kind of tie that to think about what we have just gone through the the compassion fatigue how many people have these medical workers seen die and I mean mm-hmm. God bless the fact that we got treatments and a vaccine as quick as we did but I can't imagine having to see that many people die and talk to their families and then be told by a government or something like, nah, it's not real. We're not it's gonna not work. a problem. We're not going to go work. We're not going to fund you or anything. Like, you know, I can't imagine a complete opposite response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which is what we basically saw with the AIDS epidemic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um...
1: Let's go back into the show because we yeah. could talk the politics of the AIDS epidemic for ages. <laughs> I thought it was
0: great at keeping the issue of HIV and AIDS and the affliction it caused and continues to cause relevant, so a new generation can know where we have been and where we came from.
1: Right, because the moment we forget about where we've come from is the moment we're doomed to repeat history.
0: Exactly, and like I, this play and that idea, what what really reminded me, of, or, or what I'm trying to tie the thought I'm trying to tie it to is like I can remember driving in Salt Lake during Pride. And a lot of these young um, LGBTQ people viewed Pride as just one big party. And I was like, you need to know the purpose of Pride. Like, it is to celebrate, but actually it's it's one big protest. It's a march. There's a reason it concludes with a parade. It's a march. You didn't have all these rights and everything. And at the same time, I feel like this subject, it's like, please know that... As HIV and AIDS has become less afflicting than it was in the 80s and a little bit more manageable, and hopefully soon preventable or, or completely survivable, still you need to know what it was and you still need to take precautions. And you still, and then that's not just for, for the LGBTQ community, that's for everyone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's still out there, it's not gone, you know.
1: So, to the, to, to the production. Yeah. Um, let's talk about
0: the set. I thought it was beautiful, intimate, simple. You know, the use of simple furniture to set the space. Cause, so it had the three walls, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then they would just use simple furniture to set the space. A hospital bed, a bookcase, coffee table, whatever. But the walls that look like bricks were actually names. Um you know, if you look close, they were names that were etched in. What's interesting, it's not the same names that were projected, which we'll get into later.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but that, you know, that 3D effect that, I don't know, it, it looked like one thing, but it was actually something else. That was cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt, the, the way the set was built felt very intimate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I think is so important for a show like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and the fact that it was at the Golden Really, also lended itself to being very intimate because the Golden is one of the smaller houses. Yeah. On Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I remember the thing that I really loved is they didn't try to like put a ceiling on the show. I mean, there were uh, on the sets there was still lights that came down to give you the illusion of. Like being, for the
0: office and everything. Yes, there were still
1: lights that came down to create like a a topper on it, but. Really, it was limitless as far as ceiling goes. Mm-hmm. And that'll make so much more sense later when we get into it. But it really just felt... I just remember getting this feeling of like a pop-up book kind of feeling, if yeah. that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um That there are words and there are names and there are things that the closer you get, the more detail there is. But I just remember the character standing out on the set looking like a pop-up book.
0: Right, the set just kind of allowed itself to... To be a space, but let the characters stand. Mm -hmm. It was about the characters. And speaking of the characters, we should talk about what they wore, the costumes. Again, I thought they were simple, realistic. I love the basic feeling of it and the fact that, like... though The show was based in the 80s, right? The clothes didn't look dated. It looked as though the show could take place today. The only... The only thing I'm remembering that looked dated was Bruce. If I'm remembering right, I think Bruce's suit looked a little dated. Maybe his hair. But the image I have in my head is not the right image. For whatever reason, I'm thinking of Paul Rudd in Anchorman. That's oh, yeah, not no, the no. right That's image. not even the right time. Ty- no. no, I know. That's the thing. is, I'm like, that's not the right image. But I, I know for a fact like Ben didn't look from the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: No, they just looked like everyday now.
0: Yeah, and that, but the show's still based in the 80s, and so I was like, this could have been from the now. You know, the closest person to being of the 80s, actually, now that I think about it, was the, the lower-level assistant who worked for the city who was worried about getting fired because he was gay. hmm Um... And he just kind of, he had the, the vest and every, the sweater vest and that. But I'm like, no, but you also kind of look like an eccentric city employee. So I could buy that, you know. So I, this is probably a good point to go on to lighting.
1: Yes. I mean, I will say li- the lighting was something that really stuck with me.
0: Yes. So, yeah, it was beautiful, it was focused. And I know that we say that a lot. Like, oh, it was focused lighting. But this was... It created, like, this intimate focus.
1: Yes. Well, the thing that I find fascinating about lights is white light can mean comedy, but also white light in the right setting can create that hyper-focus and that, like... I don't know how to describe it, but you know what I mean? Like where it's like An
0: intensity, intensity and energy yes. that it can create urgency. Yes. Yes.
1: And, and it's all the same color light, but it's the, the way that it's displayed helps communicate that emotion. Sorry. I'm getting very excited talking with my hands.
0: Um, yeah, no, cause you felt that when Ned and Ben are talking or when they're in the, the crisis center, um, but, like when Ben or not Ben, uh, Ned and Felix are talking. There's this softer light, but it's it's a big stage. But the way the lighting is focused, it's it creates this. It's not a, and it's not like a single spot like focus. It's just the way the lighting is set. Your eyes just naturally are drawn right there, and it all and it feels just soft. It's soft and it draws your eye there naturally. It's beautiful, and then just at the, the lighting just really does complement um, the 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 action. Um, I was going to save this for the one of our favorite stories, but it's going to come out now. One of my favorite scenes, and and it goes with lighting, is when um, it's when Jim Parsons' character, who I can't remember their name, but they're like the hotline operator. They help. They're one of the main workers at the corrupt volunteers at the crisis center. Anyway, they. Come in the back through the door, and everyone's yelling. You know, San Francisco's mayor just gave blah blah blah. We can't even get a meeting with that. Right? Mm-hmm. And he walks in the back door in deep shadows and comes forward. And he's clearly upset. And he talks about someone who had just passed. And he goes, "So and so just died, and his mama was there." And it was a real weeper. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to explain why her baby was dying from a cold. Mm -hmm. And the way that there's still that bright white light, but somehow Jim Parsons is still like in the softer lighting. And then he goes, there's going to be a lot of sad mamas wondering why their sons are all dying from a cold. Mm -hmm. And the way that he just comes from the shadows up front... I think that's important because that bit of dialogue in the midst of all this yelling about money and money and money and cities and bureaucracy, blah, 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 and then it, that character comes up and just says, here's the human effect. These mm-hmm. men are dying and we're all we can tell them, their families, if their families care is that they're dying from a cold, to come from the shadows.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Into that energy and just be like, don't forget while you're arguing about money, here's the human effect.
1: Yeah, there are still these humans, these very real emotions attached to this. And
0: I thought, I want to mention um, the projections real quick with lighting. Because they did have these projections that showed the protests that were happening at the same time of this. The Mm -hmm. founding of... of, um, Act Up. Act Up and all that, which I thought was great. Especially using that three uh, wall... Um, set um, which was cool to see what was happening it, it, it helped thicken the plot a little bit just visualize what was happening without having to like have them on stage with signs and that that mm-hmm. detailed it um, and and that idea leads us into our next point which I think is great which is direction I think this is this was a master class in understanding source material as well as the overarching script itself
1: mhm I think that um, one of my uh, favorite things that I completely forgot until I started reading about this Mm -hmm. again is uh, whenever the characters weren't in the scene, Mm -hmm. they were standing on the edges. Yes. um, Watching to bear witness Mm -hmm. to what was happening. And that moment especially hits harder when you see Felix and Ned
0: sitting in the bed and Felix passes yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: because this and it's this idea of bearing witness and what that means and even though we might not be able to do anything about it we can still as people bear witness to what is happening and by us being able to bear witness it gives credibility that it happened and you can't gaslight us later and tell us it didn't
0: yeah no that's I completely forgot that they were sitting one on the on the sides of the stage. No, that's beautiful. That's perfect. I thought there was a beautiful marrying of all the design elements as well as the acting elements, that they all worked so well in concert to create this absolutely gorgeous show. I think that's why it was so effective. Mm-hmm. Everything enhanced everything. It was a game of one-upping from the lighting to the sets, to the costume, to the acting, to the music, to everything. Mm-hmm. And well, up- updating this piece to make it even more relevant to today.
1: And what I would... I mean, maybe this is just my perception, but there wasn't this concept of, well... My lighting needs to be this, or my projections need to be this, or my costumes need to be this. It was how do we enhance the stakes? How do we show how? How high do we this,
0: communicate this idea, this feeling? Yeah, this, the what added, are they trying to say exactly? The,
1: and and it just it really felt like everyone involved was how do we uplift this message to mm-hmm. pack the biggest punch.
0: It was never about the individual. It was literally about the material at hand. And it was like, there. It was it's theater at its core. We have a story to tell, and we need to tell it in the best way possible.
1: Mm-hmm. We all checked our ego at the door, and we are here to serve the purpose of the story.
0: And it, I mean, take every, everybody's name out of it, and it'd still be just as good. Who cares about who was performing, designing? It, they mm-hmm, were all yeah. just working so well together.
1: There were several notable cast members in this production, including Joe Mantello, Jim Parsons, and John Ben Hickey. Also, it should be noted that director Joel Grey played Ned, or went on as Ned, in the original run at The Public. (laughs)
0: So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Now, the show has had a huge impact on history itself and LGBTQ history, but let's focus on theater. Mm -hmm. This was one of the first shows, if not the first, to address the AIDS epidemic. And that's, I mean, I I feel like if we had dug really deep off-off-Broadway, there might have been more. But, I mean, everything that I could find... This was one of one of the first to uh, there were a couple that danced around like you know they, they didn't say AIDS. this was meant to be AIDS. This was the first to be like AIDS. AIDS.
1: Right well and um, this show uh, here's here's one of the things that I was struggling with during um, our research process for this show is there is not a comprehensive, um, LGBTQ history because so much of it had to be hidden away. Um, and honestly, a lot of this stuff and shows like The Normal Heart, I wouldn't have known about had I not taken a queer theater class in college.
0: Well, and so much of it's now finally in the last 10, 15 years coming out of mm-hmm. the light.
1: Right, because of how much... And and this is this is something that I really wish that more people had access to or were writing books about mm-hmm. um, that I could find because I know how to do my scholarly research. And there's just not a lot of, without going to um, a library.
0: Well, I think like a, a, a collegiate or university library, like going down the street to Columbia and spending days in there and really, mm-hmm. you know.
1: And so, but I, I think it just goes to show how much um how much work we still need to do about it, because this is part of our history as all people, mm-hmm. um, and how theater impacts history is also something that's really important, and I think it should be more mainstream. Um, and so I started getting really frustrated that I couldn't find more more clean facts about, well, what was the first play to talk about AIDS? What was the first work to be produced about this? Um, you know, and so I I know that the impact this made was huge, but finding the credited sources to cite that impact was a struggle for me for this show, which was just so, it was so hard and difficult and frustrating because like reading this piece and seeing this piece and knowing about it now, I know it made an impact, but I can't find like impact statements and and cited sources
0: right well i mean I, I i would wager a guess that 1985 it was probably a little bit taboo or you know mm-hmm. in the height of the aids epidemic um that being said i think it was a landmark it still uh, not was it is a landmark piece of lgbtq theater
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and it's a landmark historical piece of theater
1: oh yeah well and especially because if you think about everything that happened in the 80s there was so much, and this was a large part and there were so many active forces trying to discount it or hide it or gaslight the people involved that it didn't happen or it wasn't important, well, but
0: it was. And, and like I said, this show had a big historical influence, but we want to talk about theatrical impact, and, and with you saying that, this show told the story of so many in the theater.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, there were so many people in our our world, in our community, and, and, and and this story, this play, told the story either how they they passed, or if they how how someone they knew passed from this disease. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we our community was one of the most affected.
1: Right. By well, this. Be- because the theater community has always been this place that's of about acceptance, acceptance, and vulnerability, and honesty. Um, yeah. And so people who. Couldn't be accepted well, weren't being accepted by their family, and others. They found people in the theater with their arms open wide, mm-hmm. and so so many people of the LGBTQ plus community were already in like part of the large yarn ball that makes up theater.
0: Right, and and they didn't know why. I mean, there's so much that came out of this. We we've, we've talked about it on the Caja Fall. And um, more, a chorus line. A chorus, you know. And and this show helped not just... This show put on stage what was happening. Mm-hmm. Behind the scenes in the papers you were hearing about Michael Bennett passing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, LeCasioffal founded an organization to help... But, but this show can... was putting it up there of like this is so you know happening what's to happened them. exactly.
1: This is what's happening to these people, and it's not saying because
0: of their promiscuous lifestyle or something. No, it's saying it's... there's a disease that's affecting them, and we need to do something. Mm-hmm. So to document that, to document something that happened in our community, I think that's a theatrical impact.
1: Hmm. Um. I also. I mean, here's the 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 thing about this show is there's really no true way to separate theatrical impact versus societal impact because in my opinion they are one and the same um but so with that we the sh- the show brought the attention of so we're
0: going on a societal impact just for the yeah, listener's sake
1: i mean they're, <laughs> one the, they're one in the same they are one in the same
0: okay so you were saying
1: i mean this this really brought up that the, the pandemic or sorry not pandemic. Not pepperonis. The, uh, the epidemic of the AIDS HIV crisis um, wasn't being addressed. The it wasn't give, being given the attention it needed.
0: And it was um, because of social stigmas.
1: It exactly like the and this show like it it doesn't sugarcoat any of that. It goes and says this is happening and we need to do something about it.
0: The fact that people called it the gay disease and things like that. I mean, it was awful.
1: That people wouldn't touch Mm
0: -hmm. things that
1: other... That people who were suspected of being, you know, homosexual touched because of this. Talk of a lack of knowledge creating hysteria.
0: Well, and I mean... Well, I'll get to this later, actually. I want to save this thought for later. It became, in my opinion, the show became a call to arms of such inspiring and organizing people to demand change and help for the AIDS epidemic and victims. You know, this is where we learned about the Gay Men's Health Crisis Center and ACT UP, you know. And this show inspired people.
1: To want to do to, something. Exactly.
0: It was like we need... Even I left the theater and I was like, I want to do... We, more needs to be done. And I, I left and I was like, I, I need to... I've got to do something. I want to continue to do something. I want the fight against AIDS to be something that's important to me and and it is important to me still and and do something for that, you know? Um, And I feel like also uh, on the more modern end, it introduced people to the story of the AIDS epidemic and the horrors of it, you know, the lack of funding, the lack of acknowledgement, all that. And what... uh, It's hard for us... Because I think living in the '90s, we knew that it existed. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of like kids who were born late '90s, even early 2000s, if they'd seen the show, or even now. Definitely now, kids who were born in the 2000s. I don't think they completely grasp what that was like.
1: No, because they they live in a world where um, you where it's been accepted. Um, to like like this love is, love is love is love is love is love concept is is more socially accepted cross barriers and like gay marriage being legal.
0: yeah so they, they know more about the accepting of the LGBTQ community than the
1: unaccepting
0: and and the the horrors that they've had to go through not just in the mm-hmm. discrimination but this horrible pandemic or epidemic And I last thing I'll say about societal impact I think it humanizes tragedy.
1: Mm-hmm. And, people the, who... and
0: and the community as a whole, you didn't just. It wasn't just the word AIDS or, gay. Um, say the word,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but, you actually there was a name there was a face mm-hmm. and you actually saw the, the the suffering and the people and all of that you know, um, and I think that's important when you're dealing with an issue. It's very easy to talk about something when it's what's what what is the term talk about something in the abstract but the minute Mm -hmm. it's it becomes real it has a name it has a face or something it's a lot harder
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know so is the show still relevant
1: 100 percent, absolutely all
0: right here i go absolutely yeah (laughs) we are now ourselves coming out of a pandemic knock wood and one in which a lot of us are asking if the powers that be handled it in the best way possible. If they listen to the scientists and the doctors and such. And all of that. Like we're questioning our, our response. And it's a, this is a pivotal show that not only holds a mirror up to our society, but also challenges us in thinking about issues like this. So important at this time. Also, the AIDS epidemic... And the communities and peoples affected are always important to remember and to help so that we can ensure nothing like that on that scale ever happens again. And I want to add one more thing to that that I thought of when you were mentioning about the hysteria about nobody would want to touch anything that an AIDS person touched or even touch an AIDS patient or or what have you. It reminded me of the hysteria from lack of knowledge regarding COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the things I saw people. Let's just stop for a minute and think about toilet paper. Shall mm-hmm. we? I mean, I, we were in Vegas when the shutdown began. And when we came back, I've never seen store shelves empty. And I thought, well, what is going on? And sure enough, a, few, uh, a week or so later, things started filling up on the store shelves. But we never had a need to stock up. You know, the mass hysteria around this pandemic. And about a lack of knowledge.
1: Well, and the thing that really gets me is people, just like with AIDS and just like with COVID, is there's this idea of blaming the other person, you mm-hmm. know? And it's this, well, if I didn't live that lifestyle, then I, it's not my problem. Mm-hmm. Whereas COVID wasn't, it was affecting everyone and we didn't know how. Um, you know, and it's kind of that, that same thing. Like we, you can't blame a person, like a person's lifestyle is not enough of a reason to condemn someone to death.
0: Right. And I just, well, I just think it's, it's, it's the misinformation that surrounds an illness Mm -hmm. and it's the way you make someone feel. It's like, I would feel awful in the early days of COVID because I would feel if I got anyone sick,
1: mm-hmm. I
0: didn't want to spread it. Mm-hmm. And to think that if someone was like, oh my coworker got COVID, great, now I've got it. And you make that person feel bad. It's like, you really think that that coworker feels fantastic about ha- being sick and giving it to you? I would like to meet someone that was like, yes, I'm a super spreader. <laughs> you know, nobody wanted to be that person. And I think back in the AIDS epidemic, nobody wanted to be that person either. I think in both situations, People wanted knowledge. They wanted information. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference between the two was the amount of misinformation and therefore or a lack of information or mm-hmm. a lack of wanting information, a spread of wrong information. And in, in our day and age it was through social media and that. But back then it was just pure conversation or 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 just not acknowledging. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think this show is very relevant. It is a heavy show, but it's such an important show.
1: We wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show.
0: So, we had the good fortune to see the show back in 2011. And, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, I will say that it changed my life.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. It, it, I've never been the same.
1: It made me want to be more passionate about things I cared about, and it, it helped me. It helped me discover my voice and because I've always like, small me always wanted to like, small me always cared about um, what was happening to other people but never knew how I could help Mm -hmm. and this show made me realize that sometimes the best thing you can do to help is to speak out and let people know that something is happening.
0: Yes. I've already mentioned this was one of the most moving pieces of theater I've ever seen. Probably the best play I've ever seen, or at least one of them. And it was one of the, it was the first play I truly loved. This is what led me to fall in love with, 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 with straight plays and that. Um, but like you said, this show left a lasting impact on my life. And I immediately went out and I bought the script, and, and that I,
1: summer, we organized a drag show to raise money for <clears throat> uh, Broadway Care's Equity Fight AIDS.
0: Oh No, it's the Utah AIDS Foundation.
1: Oh yeah, no, you're
0: right. It was the Utah AIDS Foundation. I right away I was like, I, I'm going to do something. Um, but I bought the script. I actually one of uh, my monologue for auditions is from that show. I mean, the script is incredibly powerful. You know, it. It. I reread it a few years ago when I was reading through my script library, and it, yeah, it, one of the just the biggest memories that lives with me is I remember just sobbing throughout the show. And not only is the, the writing and the performing beautiful and powerful, but um, in between scenes, you know, they would display the names of people who had died during that course of time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they would put it up on the wall of the set, right? They would project it on the wall. So that's why we said, you know, the name, the, the walls were, they look like bricks, but they're actually names. Mm-hmm. But I believe they were different from the projections. Could be the same, who knows? But um, as the show goes on, obviously the list gets longer. So it goes from just being the back wall to also being the side walls. But I remember just sobbing throughout the show, and you know, because it was moving, but at the very end, as the lights faded dark, you know, the whole back wall is covered, and then there's the side walls of the stage. And then the entire theater is covered with names. And I just remember weeping. Just crying, mm-hmm. and I—I I was just so yeah. moved. I—I, it—it, oh,
1: it definitely changed my my life because you can hear that there were ten thousand people that died of something, but then to see the names of those ten thousand people in front of you. And understand that each one name you read...
0: And that's just in that time period, though. Yeah.
1: Each one name that you read has an entire life attached to it that has so many people that they've impacted, so many people Mm -hmm. who have interacted with them, and how that can touch you. And it just, it reminds you that we are just one small spark in a giant ember. Well, and it just breaks your heart because... There were, there were
0: enough people that passed to fill a Broadway theater's walls in that period of time from this horrible disease. That's mm-hmm. what made me just cry because my heart broke. You know, I was just like, well, I can't believe were, that this happened.
1: And then there were so many people who said that it didn't matter. Yeah. And by saying that the crisis didn't matter, it's like saying that those people didn't matter. And I don't care who you are. All lives uh, all people
0: all people matter
1: all people matter sorry no. i almost slipped out into something else that this
0: didn't. this was a piece of theater that truly just it touched my soul and for that i'm truly grateful like i very few pieces of theater actually like reached down and just touched my soul There's a lot of great theater out there don't get me wrong this one just it, it touched my soul and then I remember meeting the cast afterwards. You know, Joe Mantello was so incredibly nice. The entire cast was incredibly nice. And then, of course, we mentioned I didn't realize that we'd met Larry Kramer mm-hmm. right after, and he was handing out stuff. Just thought he was a passionate older gentleman. And hindsight, I'm like, oh
1: my god. Yeah, you know. I literally thought there was just someone who was like, well, I'm from this time period, and you need to know that these people existed. And they well, were and then
0: even now, just you need to <laughs> stay active, you know. Hmm. We are so optimistic with the direction things are going. And so we hope you will join us at the theater sometime soon.
1: You'll be able to catch the normal heart at a theater near you sometime soon, I hope.
0: Yeah. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez.
1: And I'm Hope Bird.
0: Reminding you to turn off your cell phones.
1: Unwrap your candies and still keep your masks on.
0: And keep talking about the theater.
1: In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewisperpod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by William Ross Chernoff's Nomads, Lovira, John Bartman, and Billy Murray.